You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You're listening to The Noble and Roosh Show, brought to you by Ball is Life and Dash Radio. Welcome back to another episode of The Noble and Roosh Show. I'm your host, Roosh Williams, with my co-host, Zach Noble. And today we have a very special guest in the building, former NBA player, former NCAA champion, uh, Danny Manning. Danny, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. We really appreciate you having us on um, or coming on with us. Uh, I'm I'm an old head, man. So not to even refer to you as an old head, but like I, I really get a kick out of talking to, to guys that played in the 90s. So really well, appreciate excited. It. I've been called worse. It's, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, I want to get this in before we jump it off, before I forget, because I know I will forget. Uh, I I might be one of the few people to anyone listening to this that remembers you from the movie Eddie. And, oh wow! Um, okay. Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, I I remember I rent, rented that back in the day, like you know, when I was a kid. I'm 31 now, but back in the in the 90s, I was a kid. Um, and that's a classic, man. People forget, like it's one of those classic, like random movies. Mark Jackson was in it, obviously yes. Whoopi Goldberg. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. I don't know if you you know had good times doing filming that movie or that whatnot. was a lot of fun. It sure was. So uh, we're gonna if I search on I am I never knew about this, and I haven't seen. Uh, He's on IMDb. He brought. <laughs> I got to look up yeah, on IMDb now. Do you have a big monologue? I mean, a big list of stuff there? Or is it just Eddie? No, I've, I've got a few other things that I've been in. I can't remember all of them. I, probably one of the coolest deals for me was uh, being on In Living Color. That was oh, pretty cool. I don't know if you guys cool. remember that show. That's way back when, too. Definitely. Definitely. Wands. I think Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah definitely Jim yes. Carrey. Yes. Awesome, man. Very good. But, but to get back to basketball, uh, where are you at these days? What's going on with you? Kind of checking in with you. Well, for me, I'm, I'm uh, been very fortunate. I've been working with ESPN this year, being a college basketball analyst, part of the studio show. And so for me, I get to go up to ESPN Bristol and talk basketball, which is a lot of fun. Watch ball all day and talk it. So for me, I've been very fortunate to have that type of opportunity and um, just trying to make the most of it. The ESPN crews and hosts that I've been working with have been outstanding and very helpful in, in my first forte into the, the media side of it, if you will. So were you, did you get a firsthand look at the Kansas Jayhawks getting beat down by my Texas Longhorns, perhaps? Easy. Oh, I did. They played exceptionally well. They sure did. I did. Shaka, this is probably the best team Shaka's had since he's been at Texas. By far. And, wow. And um, but probably more importantly was the shot that Jones hit the other day against West Virginia. You know, they they riding that momentum from the Kansas win and now this big win from West Virginia. You know, I think this is this is a team that primed to make a deep run in the tournament. Yeah, so, uh, it, it reminded me. Sorry, Zach, real quick, because it's Texas related. It reminded me. Uh, <laughs> Andrew Jones shot reminded me. I don't know if anyone remembers this. I forget the year. I think it was 05 or 06. It was before KD. Andrew Jones. To, he's 
He's early, uh, later than that, like 2015-ish. What? No, 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 no. It reminded me of what happened in 0506 when Texas played West Virginia in the tournament uh, yeah. when, they had, when they had Kevin Pitsnoggle, if, if anyone remembers Kevin Pitsnoggle. Um, Kenton Paulino hit a buzzer-beating three to, for, the, for the Longhorns to beat West Virginia in the tournament to advance. So it, it just reminded me of that is all I'm saying. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, Danny, we're um, are you just enjoying the media scene now? It looked like you were interviewing for NBA jobs, exploring the NBA assistant route, uh, but you ended up in the media side of things. Are you pretty committed to that, or are you still wanting to get back into coaching here? Well, right now, ESPN, I felt, presented the best option for me and where I'm at in my life. Um, this is probably, not probably, this is the first time in, in recent memory that I've had a schedule that was not so demanding, if you will, being a coach or being a player. And I've, I've really enjoyed that. My wife and I have a chance to travel a little bit more and do a few more things than we've ever had a chance to do because of the job that I have now. So, you know, I, I want to be involved in basketball. Where at, who with, what level, I'm not quite for sure, but I definitely still want to be involved with the game as we move forward. Very good. When you told us uh, you're maybe moving back to Kansas City here, you kind of got my hopes up that uh, might be making an entrance back into the Jay- Jayhawk sidelines as I was a 2013 grad. So um, right, right in your prime as a coach there. And uh, those, those are the glory days for me. I mean, that was best times. Uh, going back to Kansas coaching now, uh, at what point, I mean, you guys were have, had such a successful bench there. I mean, you were doing such great things, and it was an awesome run. I know, you, I mean, you had bigger goals of being a head coach than yourself and Bill Self being young and everything. Um, at what point did you decide um, that it was the best time for you to leave? Why, why did you decide to leave uh, the Kansas bench when you did? Well, there were a lot of things that contributed to that. When I retired from the NBA, the last four years, I was on a different team. And so my kids would come and to the city and my wife would come to the city that I was playing in probably around the Christmas break. And so it got to be a point where my son was in fourth grade and had not been in the same school for a whole year yet. Oh, wow. so for me, it just, you know, we wanted to provide more stability for our kids growing up. And the plan was to get them through junior high, elementary, junior high and high school. And then from there, kind of see what options were available. And, you know, for me, being on Coach Self's staff for all those years, I learned a tremendous amount. I had a lot of fun working with great guys that I'm still in touch with and some of my best friends when you talk about Joe Dooley in particular. Um, So, you know, for me, that was the mindset. And then when my father passed away in 011, um, it kind of changed things for me from the standpoint of, if this is something that you want to do, you need to get to it because tomorrow's not promised. And so that became a mindset. And, and, you know, for me, an opportunity to go to Tulsa and be the head coach there somewhere where Coach Self had a lot of connections, very familiar with. And for that to be my first head coaching job, I thought it was too good of an opportunity to pass up. Yeah. I mean, you did great things at Tulsa. It seemed like it was, the right decision and it worked out for you as you progressed through the ranks there. And um, did you have any other um, offers before that, that you kind of look back on you wish you didn't turn down or. No, no, that was, that, okay. that was the one that worked for me. 
Very good. That's no, good to hear. So looking back on your Kansas time again as a coach, uh, do you have any teams that stick out that were your favorite? Or is it probably really hard to say? Um, I mean, because they were all so memorable. I mean, those teams, every single one of them. But, yeah, I mean, being on those staffs were a lot of fun. Um, not, you know, obviously, if you're going to pick one team, you're going to pick the team that won the national championship. But, but you know, for me and, and where I was at as a, as a person, as a man, as a coach, as an enthusiast, enthusiastic Jayhawk basketball fan, I just enjoyed building relationships with the players each and every day, each year. And, um, you know, to this day, we still stay in contact. We still reach out and support one another. And so for me, that was, that's always been the, the most beneficial part of it, um, is just being a Jayhawk and being a part of that small fraternity of players that are fortunate enough to, to run out of that tunnel and play in Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, looking back on your time at Kansas as a player and a coach, I mean, what does being a Jayhawk uh, mean to you, you think? For me, being a Jayhawk means so much. Um, it helped prepare me for life. You know, I, I met my wife. We won a championship. I graduated. Fortunate enough to work there, be a part of a, two championship teams, be around great coaches, great people. And so for me, you know, I look back on it from where I'm at now to everything that I've gone through, Kansas helped prepare me for it. And the support and the amount of love that you receive for being a part of that program is something that you can't explain. And I'm very grateful for all of that support. Danny, um, not many people are fortunate enough to win a championship as a player and then also as a coach. And many people don't do it at their alma mater. Um, while also having been, you know, the player of the year at their alma mater. So what is that kind of like comprehensive experience like for you? Is, is it just kind of something you, you reflect on and it doesn't really sink in fully? Or like what, what's, what's your take on, on that and kind of what that experience is like for you? It, it, it has a couple different meanings or I, I feel it in a couple different ways. And I'll explain it to you like this. As a player, you win the championship and you're a little bit naive to everything that goes into it. You know, you feel like, oh, I'm going to go work in the gym, I'm going to get in the weight room, or I'm going to hit the track, or I'm going to work on my skill set. And, you know, you're in the gym working on your game, and you count down, five, four, three, boom, I hit the game, when are we winning? Yay! It's all glory, it's all love. As a coach, you understand that so many other things go into it. You know, understanding scouting report, the health and of your players um, not going through situations where um, the chemistry is not right. So, you know, so many different things go into it. But for me, winning the championship in 1988 was uh, the ultimate goal, the ultimate place to get to. But you really don't get a chance to experience it if you're not there the following year. And mm -hmm. so for me, you graduate and, you know, fortunate and, and leave there and I really didn't know what that championship meant to the Jayhawk faithful. Mm. I got a chance to experience that in 2008. You know, so part of me was like, wow, this is, this is cool. This is, you know, this is fun. And I never really got a chance to experience what it was like after a championship the following year. And so to have that experience in 2008 um, just made me reflect back on what that experience would have been like 
still being in school after winning the championship. And so, but for me, you're very fortunate and blessed to be a part of any type of championship team and let alone be able to do that at a school that you went to at a school that you met your wife at, at a school where both my kids have graduated from. So, you know, for me, it's, uh, I feel so blessed just to be fortunate enough to be, to have that experience. That's, yeah, that's awesome. amazing, man. Literally, it's literally a fairy tale. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, it is, and and it's interesting because defending the title, as you're saying, um, almost means every bit as much as getting the title, right? Like, and it sounds like you didn't get a chance as a player to like enjoy defending the title and sharing it with you know the community, but as a as a coach, you did in a crazy game too, man. That Chalmers shot uh, was was pretty awesome. I remember I was rooting heavily for Kansas in that in that final because they're also from the big 12. I was at Texas during that time and Memphis had just stomped Texas. So I was happy that, that Kansas got it. <laughs> yeah, that, that shot was big time, you know, as a play that, you know, work on over and over again. And, you know, you don't practice the stumbling and flipping of the past, but you, <laughs> you know, you, you work on being able to execute in tough situations. And those guys definitely, when you talk about, you know, Sharon and Mario and all the guys out there on the court executed what coach called and Mario jumps up and, and knocks down a huge, a huge shot. One of the biggest shots in the history of our program. Kind of shifting from that and, and kind of piling on to what else you're talking about the next season, right? You're a rookie in the NBA, uh, first overall pick and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's when you had your first ACL injury. Is that right? Correct. So yes. So on one hand, you're very fortunate, you know, that it happened in the NBA and not in college, because who knows what the trajectory like of a career can be after that. But I kind of wanted to get your perspective on, I think you were like now an ACL injury is much more common and the treatment is much more advanced and different. Um, I think you are still the only NBA player to return to the NBA after three ACL surgeries. I might be wrong about that. Um, But what's your perspective on all that? And like, you know, how that may have impacted you, for example, had you come along 15, 20 years later? Um, you know what? You know, the, you play the hand that you're dealt, and everybody's hand is different. And, you know, that was the hand I was dealt. And, you know, for me, I feel very fortunate and proud of the fact of being able to come back from three ACLs. Yes, the medical advancements have changed, but yet and still that type of injury it takes time to come back from. And every time that I stepped back out on the court, recovering from that injury, I did not feel I was anywhere near the same player as I was at the time of the injury till about a year later. Mm. And so for me, you know, you, it, it was 11 months when I go get injured to get back out there on the court. And then it's another year before I feel completely comfortable as a player again. And that has nothing to do with the doctors or the rehab or anything like that. That has to do with functional strength. That has to do with, you know, you're playing games, you're practicing, you're traveling, your body wears down. And so, you know, for me, and I think most players that go through it, it's about a year before you really feel like you've hit your stride again as a player. And it just takes time. And so you have to have patience. But it's kind of a double-edged sword from the standpoint of you know that you need to get stronger or continue your rehab, but you also know you need rest. Mm. So you're playing back-to-back games, 
Um, one year, the lockout year, when I came back from my last one, there were we played three games in a row sometimes. And so you, you have to find the balance of making sure I do enough to maintain the strength that I have, but not overdoing it and developing tendonitis, which would be a big setback in an ACL. So looking back on that, your recovery process and everything, how did, I mean, you returned from, I mean, getting an injury in your first year as a player. I mean, that would just be the most devastating thing. I mean, I've talked to plenty of players on our show and they've gone into major depression throughout their injuries. They're, they're all time lows in life and everything. And the fact that you bounced back so quickly and became an all-star player and doing it three times in your career. I mean, what is that process like mentally on somebody? And um, is it more mental than physical in your estimation? Oh, it's both. You know, there's a mental toll. There's a physical toll. And, you know, for me, Archie Marshall, one of my teammates at Kansas, had blown his knee out two times, and he returned to action to play. So going into it, I knew it was possible. Bernard King was in the midst of his comeback from an ACL, so you grab motivation there. And for me, you know, the, the, whole, the whole deal for me was mentally, I knew that I was not going to come back and be the same type of player. But I also knew that my game was not based on pure athleticism, outrunning people, outjumping people, and things of that nature. And so for me, I knew at the end of the day, I was going to be 6'10 when I came back from my ACL or 6'11. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> if I was just going to become more of a strictly interior post-up type player, then so be it. But for me, I had great doctors. Dr. Stephen Lombardo did all three of my surgeries out at Curlin Job Clinic in Inglewood. Clyde Brewster was my master therapist. Johnny Doyle, Thomas Archie, Carl Horn. Those guys were huge in all of my rehabs and pushing me and challenging me to get back. And then there was also a piece of me that was just stubborn enough to fight through the discomfort that you're going to go through to have those injuries. And my inspiration was my family because I, you know, my first ACL, we didn't have kids yet, but my wife was there and, you know, you still want to provide for your family. And then moving forward from there, we started our family. So I, I had my second ACL and I did all my rehabs um, for my second and third ACL at my house in Phoenix. So I built a weight room and that was where I spent all my time. So my wife could come out, my kids could come out. I could work as much as I wanted to and still be in their presence and still see them. And I think it was also good for my kids to see that, um, to see me put forth the work, to see me try to set a goal and try to accomplish that goal every day. So <clears throat> I kind of wanted to ask you, Danny, because you played for the Clippers. You, you came into the league with the Clippers, spent a good amount of time there. Um, then you go to the Hawks, and then you, you spent some time on the, on the Suns. And like the Clippers back then, obviously, everyone remembers were, you know, laughingstock of the league type team. Now things whoa, have changed. Whoa, slow your roll now. Slow your roll now. Hold on now. We <laughs> took Houston and Utah to five a couple series. That was in the okay, first round. Okay, right, okay, okay. My first bad, couple Thank years, you. Though, I Thank you. you. My bad, my bad. But um, I was going to ask you, man, what, what's it like for an NBA player being in different situations, right? Uh, being in losing situations versus being on better teams. And in addition to that, what were some of your favorite teams that you were on in the league? Well, I think you have to have a level of professionalism and understand that it is a business first and foremost. 
And so anytime you have an opportunity to play at the highest level or compete at the highest level, you want to show that you belong. You want to have the respect of your teammates. You want to have the respect of the coaching staff, but you want to have the respect of other coaches and other players in the respective league that you're competing in as well. And so that was a mindset walking in the door. And if you weren't able to display that, you weren't going to make it in whatever league you're playing in that long. And so for me, that was the mindset. And then trying to figure out ways to help my team be successful and win games. And so for me, you know, going to the Clippers, I was excited about going to the Clippers because the year that I joined the Clippers, Charles Smith from Pittsburgh, Gary Grant from Michigan, Tom Garrett from Rhode Island. I mean, we're, we're rookies together in the NBA. The year before that, the Clippers had Joe Wolf from North Carolina. Ken Norman from Illinois, Reggie Williams from Georgetown. We had a strong young nucleus. And so that was something that we were excited about. Now we knew we were going to hit our growing pains and we knew it was going to be rough, but we got to a point where, you know, like I said earlier, we, we, were, we were a competitive team night in and night out towards the end of my tenure there. And that's something that I'm proud of. I get traded to the Atlanta Hawks, which is a new experience for me. First time being traded, but also getting traded for a guy who they later put up a statue outside of the gymnasium. That is different. And, you know, I remember my first forte in Atlanta, if you will, I get introduced and I get booed. And I'm playing on the Hawks team at that point in time. (laughs) You know, at that point, it's one of those deals like, wow, okay. But you also understand what Dominique meant to the Atlanta Hawks franchise. When you see a statue of him out there. And so for me, I'm very proud of the fact that we were able to win the Central Division and go on a little run in the playoffs. Yeah, the first chance I get to become a free agent um, and pick the destination I want to play, I ended up picking Phoenix. I'm, I'm glad I did that. Jerry Colangelo was one of the best owners, if not the best owner in the league. And it was a great place for me. And so, you know, to start off my first 11 years in the league, you know, to be five and or five and a half, yeah, in LA with the Clippers, half a year of Atlanta, then another five in Phoenix. I feel very fortunate to have those experiences with those teams. For forgive me if I'm wrong here. Uh I feel like you were in Phoenix 1994, 1995. Um and if so, that means you would the have been right. No, no, I meant I meant specifically that season, the ninety four, ninety five season, he was a member of the Phoenix Suns which means you would have been on the bench when Mario Ellie hit the, the three-pointer in game seven. Is that correct? Were you, uh, you, you were on that 94-95 team, right, with Barkley and Marley yeah. and Kevin Johnson, Joe mm-hmm. Klein? Yeah, the year after they lost to the Bulls in the championship. Right. No, no, no. That was 92-93 is when they lost to the Bulls. I think that's Barkley's okay. MVP season. Rockets win the next season, 93-94. They beat Phoenix that season. I think you were maybe Atlanta. And then then 94-95, Phoenix was up 3-1, and Houston comes back. It was like one of the first Mm 3-1 comebacks. Uh, And and they win game seven in Phoenix on a three-pointer with like one or two seconds left. You weren't there? I was just going to ask what that was like. Yeah, it was was not a good feeling. (laughs) It was also, I believe that was my first year with Phoenix. And I, I was not playing because I blew my knee out for the second time right before All-Star break. In that February, year. right? Okay. Yeah, because yeah. I, was, I was looking up where, where you were at because I, I remember you being on that team, but uh, 
your stats ended in February. So that, that was, yeah, you got hurt. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, anytime you're up in a series like that and your team loses, it's always something that you're, you're disappointed in, you're upset in, but you, you know, end of the day, I can say that now where I'm at in life and appreciation that I have for players that play in the NBA. They were better at that particular moment. And, and that's what happens. You know, that's why you play a series. You know, the team who wins the series is generally the best team of that particular series. And so, you know, it was devastating to see. It was very frustrating for me because I couldn't help out on the court the way I would have liked to. Um, but, you know, that's how it goes. I mean, and they go on to win back-to-back championships too. Yeah. Would have been an epic little little uh, battle in the post with you and Elijah Wan. He's one of the best to ever do it. That's a tough cover. I need some help. We got a double team here. <laughs> so you, you've played with Malone. You've played with Barkley. Um, you've played with a couple other greats as well. Uh, that have to go through them all. But uh, those are the two that stand out more than anyone. Uh, who would you say is better between those two? And uh, where do you think they rank in like the all-time power forwards? Because I still have KG and Duncan ahead of them, but I mean, it's always interesting hearing it from somebody that actually played with them. I think they're both terrific players. Um, I don't get into the raking and grading. I just appreciate what those guys have brought to the game. I appreciate the fact that I was fortunate enough to play with both of them and they made me better. They made the game easier for me because of the attention that they would pull. And so, you know, that's just kind of how I look at it. I've never been someone to say, hey, I play with this guy and this guy's the best. This guy, I can't, I can't do that. I, I do enjoy looking at the record books and seeing the guys that I played with. I think that's yep. kind of fun in, in that regard, especially the point guards I had a chance to play with. But those two guys will go down as two of the best to ever play the position um, for a long time. They'll, they'll be in that category. Let me ask you this. I mean, all time, I mean, throughout your career, I mean, who did you have more fun playing with? I know you said you really enjoyed your days in Phoenix, but, like, what team stands out to you more than anything? I don't know if it's based on because you had so much success or just based on the teammates around you and what made it enjoyable for you. Well, to me, my, my, the Clippers, and I say that because you have a goal or aspirations of playing professional basketball and you're fortunate enough to get there, that's a tremendous feeling. It's a great honor. It's something that you're grateful for, and you, en- you learn to enjoy it. And then I'll say the Phoenix Suns because that was the first team that I got a chance to decide who I wanted to play for, mm-hmm. and that was my decision. And so for me, being in Phoenix, my kids started school there, developed their personalities to a certain extent. We were comfortable. And, and so those were the two places for me that, um, probably meant the most being on those teams for for different reasons, but and that's also where I spent the majority of my career as a player in those two cities. So uh, this is the last question for me as far as that era goes before before we focus on today's NBA. Um, but I wanted to ask, who was your favorite NBA? Uh, who's your favorite coach that you played for in the NBA? And you just mentioned. Uh, your affinity for Phoenix because you got to choose that team in free agency. Uh, I want to know, you know, what, what was, 
Like, what was your thought process during that time? What went through your mind when you were trying to make that decision? Like, what were your factors and, you know, how did you go about it? Uh, well, the best coach I've ever played for, I played for him in college and I played for him professionally. That's Larry Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he pushed me and challenged me to levels that I never thought I would get to, helped prepare me for the majority of things that I faced in pro basketball and after. And so, you know, that, that's an easy one based upon my career. Um, I've had some other great coaches as well, but, you know, he's probably been the one without question with the biggest impact and influence on me. Picking the team that I wanted to play for, a lot of things went into it. Um, <clears throat> couldn't come to a contract agreement with the Clippers, and I had no problem staying there. Um, just the negotiations with Donald Sterling didn't go the way that I wanted them to go, or my agent wanted them to go. And so at that point in time, just like, well, let's become a free agent. Um, and so from there, it's, well, who do you want to play? Where do you want to play? Who do you want to play with? What are you looking for for your family in terms of a community environment and things of that nature? And so for me, I go visit Phoenix, and it's a great visit. I, I feel like that's a place where we could compete and have a chance to win a championship. I also felt like it was a place that my family would be very comfortable and enjoy. And then from there, um, I made my decision. And so I actually took a pay cut to go to Phoenix. I signed a one-year deal for a million dollars to go to Phoenix my first year um, with the Suns because that's where I wanted to be. And And then you balled out. Yeah, I was offered more money with the Clippers. I was offered more money with Atlanta, but Phoenix is the place that I chose, and I was willing to make that decision. Now, I didn't feel great about that decision when I blew my knee out that first year there. But I'm sitting there on the court, you know, oh, my gosh, I signed a one-year contract. I got to go through this ACL again. And it wasn't go through the ACL again because I, I felt com- comfortable enough saying I did it once, I can do it again. It was just knowing that I didn't have any – the financial – yeah coverage was was not what I wanted to be in that situation. But like I said, I, one of the reasons I picked the Suns was because Jerry Colangelo is one of the best in the business. And, you know, he gave me a terrific contract when I was in the midst of coming back from my ACL. It's something I'll always be grateful for. So that thought went through your head when the injury happened? You, you were like immediately on the court thinking, oh, no, my deal? No, I was thinking I signed a one-year deal. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. 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 Man. Uh, Man, contract years, everything. <laughs> That's yeah. a big deal. Yeah, you're having a great year, too. <laughs> yeah, we, we were playing well as well. It was fun. Yeah, I think we might have had one of the best records in the league at that point. Probably. Uh, I mean, I think you finished the season third. The, the, the team finished third, and you went down in February. So I imagine y'all were top three or, or better, you know? So you've mentioned you've played for great ownership with the Phoenix Suns and management, and you understood what that was like. And then going from awful management and ownership under Donald Sterling. I mean, we've listened to the Sterling tapes. We kind of get the gist of all of that from the old senile Donald Sterling. I mean, what was it like playing for him in the younger days? I got to know. Well, for me in the younger days, for me, I enjoyed some of the people he had working in the organization. I mean, I got a chance to, to spend hours upon hours talking to Elgin Baylor day in and day out. One of the best to ever play the game as as a GM of the team. And so, you know, for me that 
there were people in that organization that were good friends that are still good friends that I'm very fortunate and blessed to have built relationships with. Um, you know, I always describe um, Donald Sterling as unique. And that's just the adjective that I'll, I'll leave you with for him. He so was, kind. He was so very kind. unique in, in, <laughs> in his mentality and his personality and a lot of other different things. But, you know, I look back on it and his team drafted me. And at that point in time, the type of player and person I was, was that's who wanted me, that's who drafted me, and that's who I want to be with. You're listening to Noble and Roosh talk to Kansas Jayhawk legend and former NBA All-Star and Sixth Man of the Year, Danny Manning. This podcast and episode are brought to you by Ball is Life and Dash Radio. All right. So moving on from what is probably my favorite era, definitely one of my favorite eras of the 90s um, of NBA basketball to current day basketball. Uh, Danny, I kind of wanted to jump off, man, by asking you, you know, who are some of your favorites of today to watch? You know, um, who are some of the people that you think have really left an imprint on the game or continuing to leave an imprint on the game, um, you know, and, and kind of advance basketball? Um, for me, I'm going to start with LeBron. And let's say that just because of the tremendous player that he is and the impact that he's had off the court. Mm-hmm. Um, Business-wise, you know, from the things that I've seen and what I understand about him, he's probably one of the better businessmen that have come down through the NBA and how he approaches things off the court. Um, I never got a chance to play against him. My last year in the league was his senior year of high school, so he comes in the following year. Um, but I'm just amazed at the level that he's able to maintain and play at for the duration of his career. I mean, you know, he's one of the best to ever do it. And I, I really appreciate him in that regard. Um, and then, you know, I, I enjoy the, the skill set of, of all the players. When you talk about a, a Kevin Durant, you know, somebody that's been one of the best to, to play the game during his era, battle an injury and come back at a high level, have good appreciation, a high level of appreciation for that because that's something I've experienced and I know it's not easy. And I can look at all the other teams out there. I, I like I like Luca. I think he's going to be a force in this league for a very, very long time. Um, and so for me, I appreciate what I'm seeing. I appreciate what those guys bring to the NBA or basketball and taking it to the levels that they've taken it to. Then I look forward to the next group of guys coming in and doing the same thing. So for me, I'm just a, a complete fan of the game, and I enjoy watching basketball. Um, obviously, college basketball, NBA, women's basketball, because I, I feel like there's always something to learn and get better when you watch and study other people. If you had to pick, is there a player that resembles your game in any shape or form? I mean, I, there's obviously not a clone. Uh, but is there a guy that says, hey, this guy's got a lot of Danny Manning in him? You know what? I probably haven't studied enough NBA players to, to be, be able to give you a decent enough answer um, from all the guys that are out there. But, you know, to me, the way I played the game, I felt like I was an unselfish guy that could handle the ball, that could pass the ball, scored at times, 
Um, and my whole mindset was to make the game easier for my teammates and be as versatile as possible. And so, you know, there are a lot of different guys out there that fall into that category. And we're seeing more and more in that 6'10", 6'11", range. Danny, there are a lot of people online um, that talk about basketball these days tend to think of like the 90s era as a lesser version of basketball. And, and one thing that obviously they didn't watch the game, so they kind of show themselves because most of them were not alive. Uh, to even watch that era. But one thing they always point to is the lack of ability to shoot the three, right? And they, and they used to, they, they use statistics to say, Hey, look, these guys couldn't shoot from three, right? Like if I pulled up your statistics, you shot, I don't think you shot more than 30 or 35 three pointers in, in one season, but that doesn't mean you couldn't shoot. Um, so now that the game is spread out and five out, what do you like, what do you make of that? If you were playing today, do you, do you think you'd easily be able to adapt a three point shot that you could shoot at a good enough clip? Oh, I absolutely do, but that that's not what I did. That was not right. in my lane. You know, everybody, you know, as talented as, as, as Curry is, and we see what he's able to do recently scoring the basketball, everybody can't be that. You know, you can want to be, you can practice it, but if you don't have that skill set, you're not going to be that good at it. And so for me, the, the three-point shot, when I played, was more of a specialty shot. Now it's become more of a, with the analytics being involved, it's either shoot a three or get to the rim. Mm -hmm. And I was an in-between player. That was my wheelhouse. That's where I had the most success. And I would still be an in-between player if I was playing in the game today. I'd just shoot more three-pointers, um, probably more corner yes, three than anything. Um, but, you know, it just it ebb and flows. I mean, that's just the way the game is being played. I do like the freedom of movement that they have now. I think that was something that would definitely would have benefited me as a player because I was not a, a strong man, if you will. I was always very frail in my size until I got older in my career and I started to gain more weight like most players do as they get older. Um, <laughs> and then think I would have been a better defensive player in this era just because of, you know, you play, play a little bit more zone than we were able to play when I was playing. So it was, it's just different in terms of what the rules are. But I mean, I still appreciate both eras. Um, you know, for me, my experiences were the ones that I played in, but I also can appreciate the ones that I'm seeing now. How do you so feel about the, the difference in the rules as, as a guy that played in, a, in an era that I would say had uh, was tougher to play in just in terms of the rules? How do you feel about that when you watch the game now? Um, I don't think people understand how hard it is to create space to get away from a defender when you're able to be hand checked. Hmm. You got no idea. You, you have no idea how strong the grips that some of the guys that you played up against had and how strong they, they were with their body and being able to guide you. I remember first getting into the league and dribbling the ball up the court. And I'm in my mind, I want, I want to go this way. Defender hand checks me and says, no, we're going over here. <laughs> and it's like, okay. Wow, okay. Um, <laughs> you know? And so, that, I mean, that's just something to I me. Mean, I remember trying to post up in the league my first couple of years and it, it is a wrestling match. And it is, you know, so you have to get clever with your footwork and things of that nature. And so 
this game has been cleaned up a little bit in regards to the amount of hand-to-hand warfare that goes on, but it's still a physical game. I mean, I go to playoff games every summer, or when my college season has been over, I've gone to playoff games, and I just marvel at how physical of a game it still is down in the trenches, hitting bodies, hitting picks, boxing out, trying to get to your place that you want to get to on the court. And so, you know, for me, it's something that I appreciate, but also reflect back on it and realize how hard it is to to do those things from a physical standpoint. I think one area where you would transfer over to this um, generation really well is your ball handling and passing ability and just being a tweener. I think that's where you would transfer an awesome clip. Uh, But I got to ask you, I mean, do you think we're getting too extreme at all? I mean, do you think this is going too far, like away from the basket, away, I mean, from defense and, and actual like skill-wise to just being, I mean, finesse and speed and just shoot pure shooting? Because I get a lot of fans coming at me and saying, this is AAU basketball. This isn't, there's no structure to this anymore. There's no plays being ran. These guys don't have to be smart anymore. Because this year, at its, at its core, I mean, there's been more blowouts. I think it's a big part of not having fans in the stands. I, uh, they're having more blowouts this year to start the year than ever before. Teams are just running away with the score. And, yes, that could be either the shooting or it could be the way they're playing or it could be no fans in the stands. I'm not sure. Well, I think the, the game always will have a lot of fluidity to it, and a lot of it depends on the players. Um, Professional sports is a copycat league, and it doesn't matter what sport you're talking about. When someone has some success with a certain style of play, that will be mimicked by other people that want to compete against them, that want to beat them. Um, At the end of the day, to me, basketball will always be a game that you have to get to the paint at some point in time to have success. And people can marvel at the long threes, they can marvel at, you know, what guys are able to do on the perimeter. But you also have to take in consideration how many layups Steph Curry shoots. You know, how many times he's able to get to the free throw line. And that's a part of it. Um, because you can't just, as a player, it's easy to guard somebody if you know they're just going to shoot threes. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's going to be a one-dimensional type guy. And so for me... Are you that, referring... Are you oh, referring to anybody? I'm just in general. No, oh, yeah. just the game in general. Um, basketball will always be a game that the teams that have the most success will be teams that get paint touches. I mean, if we can look at Golden State and talk about their three-point shooting and how they shoot the ball from the perimeter, and you're right, but they get to the rim as well because they're such good shooters. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Rockets fan, and I've had criticism for some of the polarization we saw, right, um, where – like you said, the Rockets were very predictable. They were just shooting threes. Or they, they tried to get to the rim or shoot threes, but um, other defenses just kind of knew, like, yo, Rockets are most likely going to drive and kick and shoot, and that's it. Um, and it gets tough to watch sometimes, especially in the playoffs when you're in a seven-game series and all of your weaknesses are coming to the surface, um, you know, and you don't ride momentum and you need a bucket, but you're just kind of jacking up a three without any real substance as to how you got there. One of my favorite teams ever is the Spurs, the, the 2014 Spurs that, that won it all and beat Miami. Um, 
and they just moved the ball so well. Like that was basketball, you know, cutting, moving, and that's a lot of what Golden State. That was State Tim did. Duncan, man. Come on, come on now. <laughs> that's what that was. When you got man, a Tim Duncan, you throw him the damn ball. Yeah. A lot of these teams that that are shooting all these jump shots don't have a player of that magnitude. Well, not too many people will ever have a player of that magnitude. Let me say that. Um, but you know, when Shaq was in the league. Every team had two guys on their roster to guard Shaq. And like I said, it's a copycat league, and it ebbs and flows, and there's a lot of fluidity to it. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you still got to get to the free throw line, and you still got to get to the rim. I mean, even James Harden, he probably shoots a lot 15, of layups. 13. <laughs> get to the free throw line quite a bit because all, of all day. his skill set. You know, and so, you know, for me, it's – I tell the fans this. I mean, don't like it when it's going good. You know, only like it when it's going bad too, because you you were liking it when it was going in, and it's just that's just the way it goes. I was gonna say that's one of the biggest things. Like you can't stress it enough. Like what separates the levels to players? There's like a top fifty to seventy player. There's a reason why he's there. He might be averaging twenty points per game, uh, a lot of field goal attempts, but he's only shooting four, three to four free throws a game. And where you got James Harden and then Steph Curry, LeBron, all these greats, the reason why they were able to level up is because they knew how to get to the paint and get to the line when the game mattered and when they were struggling um, shooting the ball. I mean, that's how you get to the next level. Absolutely. I mean, one of of my favorite things about basketball, period, and it kind of feeds into what we're all talking about is – off ball cutting. I mean, moving off the ball creates space. It gets people going to the basket. Um, it can get your defenders scrambled up so you can drive to the basket. Um, and so one thing I just hope the league doesn't get to is a, is a point where people are standing flat footed. I'm not saying that's happening. Um, but I see it a lot where like, you know, guy will give the ball, someone's going in ISO. And then the guy that just gave the ball up is kind of chilling four feet behind the three point line. And there's no movement. So I just hope I hope teams keep the movement intact. Um, but no, Danny, I, I wanted to. I, I, but I think to to that, I think a lot of it just depends on who's on your team. Mm-hmm. You know, who's on your team. I mean, and how these guys are going to be um, successful. How are these guys going to be effective? I mean, it sounds good if you have guys at certain times that are moving, but a lot of times it's if you, you talked about James Harden, well. It's hard for guys, for James Harding to have guys cutting through the lane if he has a basketball because he's one of the best at the league stopping and going and getting past his man. So now you have all these guys cutting through the lane, and now you got the defense sitting there waiting on him. Yeah. The beauty of what James Harden is able to do is the floor is spaced and he can get to the basket. You know, how many times have you seen James Harden? And this is not a knock on him. I'm just saying, on my scouting report, of my limited time of watching, he's shooting a long jump shot or he's getting to the rim. That's what he You does. know, that, that in-between game, I mean, he, he's very capable, don't get me wrong, but he probably shoots more threes and more layups and free throws than he does that in-between game. And that wouldn't happen if the floor wasn't spaced. So a lot of it just depends on who you're out there with. You're throwing the ball to Tim Duncan in the post. You want some cutters because he's such a good passer. Then you got a chance to let him go to work. So I think a lot of it just depends on the breakdown of your personnel and where your best players are most effective and efficient at, and then you build your team around that. So hearing you get riled up about this, you sound like a coach 
which you have been. And uh, <laughs> I would like to ask you before we get you out of here and wrap this up, what do you see for yourself in the future? Is there a, an NBA coaching gig, assistant coaching gig, something that you might be eyeing or how are we feeling? I want to be involved in the game. You know, that's, that's where I'm at. And it just wants, needs to be something that um, I'm excited about. It needs to be something that uh, I'll go all in on. I've been very fortunate in my career. I've, you know, been a head coach. I've been an assistant coach. Um, as a player, I've had all the roles a player could have, in a sense, as a starter, a guy who needed to score points, a role player, a six-man, an injured guy, a guy that didn't play. And so for me, it's all about fit, and it's all about who I'm working with and what organization or program I'm working with. Because at this point in my life, I want to be around quality people, good people. Fair enough. Zach, anything to add to that? Just want to say, Danny, thanks for joining us today and appreciate everything you do for the Kansas Jayhawks, the city of Lawrence, and it's been a pleasure watching your career grow. So best of luck going forward, and hopefully you land something that just makes you happy, man. That's, that's all you need in this point of your career, you know? Yeah. Well, thank just you guys for luck, having man. me. Appreciate you guys, and best of luck to you. Thank you, Danny. Yeah, it's, it's always cool getting to chop it up with uh, someone I grew up watching whose basketball cards I had. So we appreciate oh, wow. it, man. Right. Have a good day. <laughs> All right. All right.